We're continuing today in our Romans 8 series, and uh, we've got a couple or three, whatever it is, uh, more, more weeks for that. A great chapter if you've not uh, ever read it. I encourage you to do that this week. And today we're, we're looking at verses 26 and, and 27 of that passage. British athlete Derek Redman was forced to withdraw from the 1988 Seoul Olympics about 10 minutes before his 400-meter race at those Olympics. If you're even old enough to, and I'm not laughing because I am, uh, if, you're, if you're even old enough to have watched those Olympics, you, you likely don't remember the situation or the athlete, unless you're a really, you know, a track and field lover and you follow that. But again, if you're old enough, some of you may in fact remember the story of this same athlete four years later in the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. In Barcelona, Redmond made it to the semifinals, and as the gun signaled the start of his semifinal heat, Redmond took off well and had a good start, good pace over his first 150 meters, when suddenly there went his hamstring. Anybody like me ever pulled one? I did at water skiing one. Not fun, not fun, right? Well, he, in pain, pulled up sharply, and of course the other competitors ran away from him as he crumpled to the track, his Olympic dream over. But after several seconds, some of you may remember, he got up, and in an act of courage in adversity, he started hopping on his good leg, determined to cross the finish line for that moment that he had worked so hard for, for all his life. As he rounded the last curve of the track, his dad had made his way to track level and his dad ran onto the track and came alongside his son in those moments, giving emotional and physical support, literally, as Derek continued to limp his way forward. He had great determination but the point I want to emphasize here is that he also had someone who in that moment was stronger than he was and was there to help him. Have you ever been the recipient of probably, probably different circumstances unless we have an Olympic athlete among us who has also pulled a hamstring, but probably different circumstances, but have you, have you ever... Experience that. If you, if you have, I, I don't have to convince you how, how encouraging and lifting and powerful that is. Likely very few can remember who actually won that semifinal race, but, but no one who saw that race will ever forget the powerful and moving scene of Derek Redmond's dad coming alongside him in his pain and helping him in his weakness. There's a beautiful and uplifting reality in our lives as Christ followers that we are also helped in our weakness. It's the case in numerous ways, but in these two verses from Romans 8 today, we're reminded that in our weakness in prayer, I think there's very few that would say, well, 
I never struggle with prayer. Probably none of us, including myself, would ever say that. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us and helps us by praying for us, we see here. When we don't know how to or what to pray for ourselves, or sometimes maybe when we don't even have the strength to do so. Let's read the verses. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but, uh, sorry, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Wow, there's, a, there's actually a lot there. Powerful stuff. What a, what a beautiful and encouraging statement right at the beginning of this brief passage. The Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit of God, helps us. In our weakness. Doesn't assess whether or not we have weakness. <laughs> we know we do. We're human. We're frail. We're finite. We're sinful. By nature, the Bible says. In our Christian lives, when we have some compassionate person who in a very caring way leans into our particular need and shows love and care by helping in some practical way. I mean, that's a, that's a great feeling, isn't it? And your mind may be going to a situation where you were the recipient of that and hopefully the giver of that kind of care and compassion at points in your life. Now, some people in terms of receiving that kind of help and support to be honest, and you've met them, maybe it's you. you, you know you need to lay aside your pride at times because it keeps you from receiving help. You, you feel so, for, for whatever reason, who knows, but it doesn't come natural to you to, to receive that. And that, I think a lot of times when we uh, respond that way, that's, that's human, human pride, at least there in the mix. And that's another conversation, an important one, but another, another conversation. Let's jump back to the important phrase that Paul starts this passage with. In the same way. In the same way. In the same way as what? Well, let's look back to previous verses to find out what he says here in the same way going back to verse 22 and 23 in verse 22 there's groaning again but there it's the groaning of creation that seems like an odd phrase kind of is there's the groaning of creation why because creation is under the curse that came as a result of our first human parents sin original sin in other words, the first time that God's creation allowed sin, chose sin, Adam and Eve, in that moment. And as a result, you can read it in the early chapters of Genesis, the earth, God's creation, was impacted adversely. But there's a time coming 
The Bible talks about it. When uh, the whole of creation itself will be made new. Read 2 Peter 3.13. The writer there says we, who is Peter, uh, according to his promise, look for a new heavens, uh, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And that will happen for, be a dwelling for all eternity. New heaven, new earth, wow. New dwelling place. Made, remade, like God originally created paradise, as we see in, in, uh, in early chapters of Genesis. And then Romans 8.23 refers to believers in Jesus groaning. Groaning inwardly as we await the time and long for the time when our adoption by God will be, will be fully realized. We're adopted if you've surrendered to Christ, if you've come to trust Him as the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life, you are an adopted child of God. Not a child of God in some generic kind of way that, that He created uh, the, you know, all human beings. There, there's an element of truth to that, but, but, but a true child is one who's being adopted, and you've chosen that. God has chosen you, but you've responded to the prompting of His Holy Spirit to come to Him, to enter His family through faith in what Jesus did to take care of the sin problem that all of us have. You're adopted. But, but, there's a time coming when that adoption will be beyond our comprehension, I think, be fully realized and fully experienced. Because then we will be completely free. At that time in the future, we will be completely free from our struggle with sin, from our our doubt and our anxiety, uh, from our weakness in prayer, from all the things that come with having a sin nature. And so, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. How? This same verse tells us He intercedes for us through wordless groans. You ever notice that? That kind of prayer? That the Spirit of God prays for you? I find this intriguing, and I, I'm not claiming to understand this fully. I'm, I'm doing my best, looking at Scripture and, and, and asking God, and you, you can do the same. And what, what's said from here needs to align with, with the Word of God, right? It doesn't mean there won't be a kind of a lack of clarity on some of these things sometimes. And I will also comment on that, on that note. There, there's clarity in what we need to know and do to secure our eternity, to secure our place as an eternally adopted son or daughter. Abundantly clear, simple. So simple that it keeps people, I think, at times from, from embracing Christ, from trusting Christ, from coming to Christ. And that is that Jesus loved me. He stepped in for me to pay my penalty. I respond in faith and trust in who he is and what he did on the cross. And I'm eternally free and eternally in a relationship with the Creator God in His family forever. Calling it simple can be deceiving, can be misleading. It's simple, but it's amazing. I digress. Rain it back in here. Romans 8. Oh, that's where we are. Romans 8. Um, The original word translated here as helps. The Spirit helps us. 
interestingly, is the exact same Greek word that is used in Luke 10 where Martha was looking for some practical help from Mary when all Mary wanted to do, many of you remember the story, was just sit and be with Jesus, hang out with him. And so in our Romans 8 verse, it, it's, it's help from the Spirit of God in our weakness that is also a very practical help, even though it's kind of challenging to wrap your head around fully. I get it. Hard to quantify specifically. The Bible knowledge commentary points out something noteworthy about verse 26, that the Spirit helps. It says it's, a, it's present tense, which means that the, it's the idea of uh, the fact that he, he keeps on helping. He keeps, he doesn't stop. He keeps on helping. In other words, it's not that the Spirit helps in those uh, occasional times when uh, we as Christians are weak. No, the point here, understood more clearly in the original language actually, is that our, our state is one of perpetual weakness. It is. Not that there's not growth and development and, and victory and overcoming and all this part of the journey, but 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 we're, we're in a state until, he, until we're with Jesus when we're given that glorified body as the Bible says. Until that time, we're, we're, we're in a state of perpetual weakness. And this, in that, the Spirit continually helps us. That's just good news. And the, and the Greek word for weakness here includes physical, emotional, spiritual weakness. And is a word actually that, that pictures someone helping another carry a heavy burden that life can sometimes feel like. The Spirit of God is for you and praying for you. And in that, lifting you up. We just need to choose to become aware of that truth and walk in it. Remember that Jesus spoke numerous times about the Holy Spirit as helper. Many of you remember Jesus' words in John 14, 16. What did he, what did he refer to G, uh, the Holy Spirit as? Another, another. So there's, there's others. Jesus, I think, was referring to himself. He's a helper. But there's another helper, Jesus said. There's the Holy Spirit. And then a few verses later, verse 26 of John 14, Jesus said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things. So the Holy Spirit longs to help us in our Christian life in every way, not the least of which is prayer. And there's three aspects, just really briefly here, touching on them, three aspects of prayer. Teaching us to pray. The Holy Spirit's role, that is. He teaches us to pray. Have conversations with the Holy Spirit about that. Teach me. Teach me how to pray. Look into his word. Teach me. And the Holy Spirit will. And then secondly, praying through us. So he teaches us to pray. The Holy Spirit prays through us at times. There's a, there's a prayer language that is beyond our intellect. I believe in a supernatural prayer language. It's at least one of the ways, for sure one of the ways, uh, to pray in the Spirit as referred to in uh, places like Jude verse 20 and Ephesians 6, 18. Beyond my understanding, but that's okay. We're talking about God here, Right? And then, as we see here in Romans 8, the truth that he literally prays for us. I mean, to have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity of God, praying for you and praying with wordless groans even, which I think shows that he identifies compassionately with you in your pain. Think about that. 
That's That's an amazing thing. The last part of verse 26 says, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. You ever been there? Where or when you just do not know how to pray or what to pray in a very difficult or or painful situation. Likely you have, as I have. A guy by the name of Everett Harrison of Fuller Theological Seminary says, do we always even know our real needs or the needs of others, much less the will of God regarding these things? I need the Holy Spirit to pray for me. I need him to guide me in prayer. And so God is reminding us here that the Holy Spirit is willing and available to take the baton in prayer for us, to use that track imagery again. I mean, prayer has always been one of the great mysteries of the Christian life, I think. And we understand that, believe that God is, is listening, but sometimes we're all too aware of our inadequacy when it comes to knowing how to pray. And in that, we need to remember that God doesn't hold that against us. He's not going to punish you because you're learning to pray. You don't punish your child because they, they stumble. No, you, you, you help them up. Keep going. You cheer them on. That's our Father. Remember the context here is that of suffering. And when we think of words to convey the idea and the experience of suffering, groaning, it's a pretty good word choice. It's, it's, it's not the prettiest of words, is it? It's a fairly strong word. I suppose you could call it a, somewhat of a, of a graphic word. Groaning. Groaning. Sometimes we groan inwardly or maybe even audibly in the midst of difficult circumstances that we're walking through. How, how encouraging to know that, that God's Spirit shares with us in this groaning prayer. I'm reminded as I think, but this is, prayer doesn't always have to have words. Hmm. Sometimes, probably more so in public prayer, but maybe in our private prayer life too, we think that we've got to impress God, impress others or impress God with our verbiage. No. Maybe, maybe in our pain and, and confusion about what life is in this broken world, maybe, maybe it's just the groans before God that He responds to and hears more than our eloquent expression. That we, we thought that was pretty good, pretty well stated, Marlo. <laughs> hmm. In an article entitled, The Groanings of God Bring Hope for All of Us, by Dr. Dave Lasalit, writes about this word groaning that Paul uses here, and he says... It means an expression of pain that goes beyond mere physical pain. He says, Paul associates groaning, uh, associates groaning with childbirth. But he uses a word that is also associated with soldiers on battlefields who are dying and crying out because they know they will be dead in a matter of moments. That is what the word groaning means. It's a death cry. Doesn't sound too encouraging, Marlo. Come on. I was expecting more this morning. 
but God responds. The Spirit of God responds to prayer like that. And so how, how, how is it that the Spirit of God, who is omnipotent, to use the theological word, which means he's all-powerful, all-powerful. And how is it that the Spirit of God, because he's God, is omniscient, or that he knows everything? How is it that this God, how is it that the Spirit of God, in all of his power and knowledge and wisdom, settles for groaning when we know he would have the words to pray for us in our pain? Huh? I don't know. I'm just throwing out a question. I don't really have an answer. Sorry. Except to think that in, his, in the groaning, in the wordless groans that the Spirit of God prays for us, I, I think at least a, a, a reasonable idea is that it's in that that He's really with us, beside us, helping us get to the finish line as we limp along. same author I quoted a moment ago writes about that. He says, the, the answer to that query of why, why groans from God? The answer, he says, is found in the cross of Christ. That's where God the Son suffered immensely on our behalf. And the Holy Spirit, is, as, as part of the Trinity, felt that pain. And he also feels our pain. And he, his his Groans are very much his expressions of prayer on our behalf, reminding us that he is right there with us and within us. That's powerful. Let that sink in. When the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us, as this verse says, he's showing in a very practical way that he is for us. Are you picking up what I want to say today? What the Word of God is saying to us? Very simple, but powerful point. The Holy Spirit is for you <laughs> at all times. But He's right there for you in your season of struggle that you feel has gone on way too long <laughs> lately. Let's go back to the story I referred to at the beginning of this message, and I want you to watch a brief video clip of that incident many years ago to, again, help us capture the power of, of someone coming alongside us. Roll it here.
that story is inspiring because here's a guy in need and he had someone who came alongside him, who was for him the way he needed in that moment. How much more, how much more do we have that as Christ followers who know God's faithful character and, and trust his power and wisdom? Hmm, what a privilege. What a lift. Or it should be. Verse 27, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Uh, okay, that, that makes complete sense since he himself is God. Again, as Christ followers, who of us haven't gone before the Father in prayer and been at a loss for words, not knowing how to or what to pray. Thank God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit who intercedes on our behalf to bring the purposes and will of God to fruition in our lives. The simple meaning of the word intercede is to intervene on behalf of another. And so in this context, it's intervening through praying for someone other than yourself. And as Christ followers, we're, we're called to do that for one another as well. But it's an especially beautiful thing that, that, that both the Son of God, Jesus, and the Spirit of God do this. Both of them do this. In the same chapter, a little later in Romans 8, 34, tells us that Jesus is at the right hand interceding for us. Jesus is praying for you. And then, again, here in verse 27, the Holy Spirit does, does the very same thing on our behalf. What a, what a phenomenal thing. The Son of God, the Holy Spirit of God, praying for you. Isn't that cool? I, I'm not sure that, at least I shouldn't speak for you, I, I'm not sure I can fully comprehend the significance of this. Or, or even that we spent, have spent a lot of time... Um, trying to wrap our heads around, around this idea. I, I know that as I was preparing this message, I'm going, I, I, need, I need to reflect on this more. I need to express thanks for, to God for this truth that I'm seeing here in, in a bit of a fresh way in the last few weeks as I've looked at this. With great thanksgiving, I need to ponder the truth of what's being said here. Uh, let's go back to the idea made clear in verse 27 that the Spirit prays for us in accordance with God's will. The Father and the Spirit are in perfect harmony for God's purposes to be accomplished in and through the believer's life, right? I, I know, it, it, it's the, the whole mind-blowing thing of the, of the Trinity. The, the nature of God. God is one. Absolutely. One in essence but three persons. Have to deal with that another time. Mind-blowing. But you know what? I'm, I'm actually glad I can't fully comprehend that. I'm glad I can't fully comprehend the nature of who God is because then He wouldn't be God. So, I'm okay. Again, verse 27, He who searches our hearts. He searches our hearts and knows every intimate detail that we hide there. Oh boy. 
The original word in this passage for, for, for searching, the word we, we see in English, searching, comes from uh, a root that implies someone lighting a torch and moving slowly through a large, dark room full of all sorts of things, looking for something specific. God is searching our hearts. It's part of the process, if we're open to it, of, of having our hearts and our minds kept, kept pure and focused on God and who He is and what He wants to do in our lives and through our lives and who He wants to be in our lives, right? The searching, the searching work of the Holy Spirit. Because so I'm sure that in searching the dark corners of our hearts, God finds things that we'd rather He not find. But it's in those moments by His grace that we can give those to Him and He takes them away. So, yes, he knows us, but he still loves us fully, right? That's the beauty. And, and therefore, lovingly, he intercedes for us according to God's will for us, which is the very best way to live. We have this idea sometimes, and we use the phrase, those two words, God's will, or four words, God's will for my life. Doesn't have to freak you out does not have to freak you out. Because if you're fully surrendered and open to whatever God's will is, He'll prepare you. He'll, he'll give you the strength and the wisdom and the guide to, to live that out. And on that discussion, don't be looking, thinking only of some grandiose way God's going to use me. His will is going to be accomplished in my life someday down the road. No. God's will, where does it start? Love God, love people today. Love God well by loving people well today, tomorrow, as you go to work, as you go to school, students, right? It's God's will. It's primary, primary uh, expression or experience of God's will. Right there, Jesus' words, two greatest commandments, love God and love people. And as you live in that posture of, 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 of obedience, of asking God, because I don't know about you, I need God's help to do that. Help me to love you well. Show me what that means. Help me to love people well. Show me how to reflect your grace in the world in which I live. Where occasionally, there are obnoxious people. God can help you. Live his will that way. And then as you live, you'll know over time, you look back and you go, God, you can humbly express that God has used you in some pretty significant ways within your family, within your neighborhood, on the, uh, the relationships on the sports team that you people, that's your school, your kids' school, students in your classroom. Just some exciting possibility. And then, yeah, some of you might feel the prompting of God to go overseas and serve Him in countries where the gospel is not known. But the young couple from our church that went to North Africa a few years ago we don't use their name, you notice, even in our website, initials of their name, because they're in a country that is very dangerous for them. And so for security reasons and their safety, but I think of them. And it, it wasn't just, I don't think, that one day they woke up, oh, we're going to North Africa to work among a Muslim nation. No, it was growing in a posture of openness. Now I'm scaring you about that, aren't I? But God brought them to the place of being ready. But for the majority, it's living that kind of life in our own culture that also needs God, right? 
and needs his message of grace and hope for sure. I got going down a path. Uh, let's skip to uh, slide 20 here. And we'll land this thing here soon. Pastor and New Testament theologian N.T. Wright says the following about this verse. At the very moment when we are struggling to pray and have no idea even what to pray for, just at that moment, the Spirit is most obviously at work. He says, this is prayer beyond prayer, diving into the cold, dark depths beyond human sight or knowing. Yeah, I'll let that just uh, settle there with you. Uh, yeah, because all of this, this is hard. I said this already this morning in, in a certain way. I, it, it's hard to, to imagine this, really. It's hard to quantify. Hard to, hard to fully and truly understand with our finite minds what, 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 not only what's being said, but what the experience is. And, and would we recognize it if it's happening? Well, okay, oh, no, no, we read. The Spirit of God is praying for us always. Huh. But one of the main points here is for us to know that God in his transcendence above us and in us knowing that his thoughts are way and far beyond ours yet still we can know that he is for us. And that he's for us in our, specifically, in our weakness in prayer. So he steps in. Praise for us. I mean, the power and influence of that is, yes, as I said, un unquantifiable really, but incredibly and eternally significant and life-giving. Or I believe he intends it to be life-giving. The Spirit knows the will of God for us because he's God, and his will for our lives, whatever it is, is the very best. So when the Spirit of God prays God's will for our lives, what more, could, what more could we ask for? And then what more could we do but surrender fully to His loving care and guidance for our lives? And, and, and so many of you in this place today, many of you engaging online, you're, you're there. That's what you want. That's what you're attempting to do with God's help and engagement with, with the Word of God and with the body of Christ. And that's, that's in your heart to live that way, to grow that direction. But for some of you, maybe you've, you've never even committed your life to Christ, so this conversation seems just kind of outlandish, actually. But that's okay. You heard me reference a moment ago the simple biblical truths that you need to be aware of. And if, if, if you are at the place of saying, I, I want to, as we sometimes term it, I want to step across that line of faith and put my faith in someone other than myself because I've proven to myself that I can't make it on my own in this life and certainly not into eternity. I'm so glad that God never designed the pathway to an eternal existence in His presence, in His family, in His heaven depended on me and what I could accomplish. Whew, I'm glad about that. We have that invitation by the grace of God expressed to us in Jesus Christ. 
who came to die in our place. And if you are at the place of saying, I want to be a, a Christ follower. I want my life to, be, uh, to, to, to count for God. I want to be in God's family now and on into eternity. This morning just might be the time when you say yes. I, I hope it is if you've never said yes to God in this way before. So I'm going to ask you, Christians, I'm going to ask you just to pray right now for any in this place physically or engaging online who might be at the place where they're ready to say yes to Jesus, yes to God, and asking Him to be the forgiver of their sin and the leader of their life. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you just right now to, to, to lift your hand and look my direction and just quickly lift your hand and, and I'll, I'll catch your eye and I'll include you in a, a general prayer as we close today. I'm going to give you that moment to respond that way right now. Anybody? Thank you. Yes. God. There might be some of you engaging online. God's speaking to your heart right now. You'll see a QR code on the screen now or in a moment. And you can respond there to let us know. And, and you that are in person here, and you're making that commitment, maybe without the upraised hand, God sees your heart. And you can just let us know. We, we'd love to celebrate with you and, and to come alongside and, and, and help and support you as you put down roots in a, in a new relationship with, with, with God. So, Father, I pray for anyone who is making that commitment today or recommitment of their life to Christ, that you would just remind them and you have through this scripture today that we've looked at, that you would remind them that you are for them. So much so that you were willing to go to the cross and die a painful, brutal death so that our sin could be taken away. We thank you. We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. One more thing I want to pray. For those of you that just you, I don't know how to say it really, except you, 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 would, you would maybe in response to this message say, you know, I need to know that God is for me. Life is just really hard right now. There's things that I don't get. There's things that have caused me anger and bitterness, and I see that seeping into my heart. Whatever, whatever the situation is, you would say, Marlo, I, I, today I just really need this reminder from Romans 8. 26 and 27, that the Holy Spirit is for me. And I want to walk in that awareness. I want to walk in that truth this week and beyond, but, but I'm looking at this week. Can I make it through this week? And you would say, Marlo, as you close, would you pray for me? I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand if that's you. Just as a sign of, yeah, include me, Marlo, and a sign to God to say, God, here I am again. Here I am again. I need you. I need the reminder that you are there for me. Just raise your hand. Hold it up as I pray. A few of you are doing that. God knows. God knows the situation. He loves you so much. He is for you. Doesn't mean life's going to be easy, but he is for you and with you in it. Let him be. Trust him. Father, I pray. And as church, church, join with me in prayer for the the individuals that have raised their hand, a few individuals here this morning, pray as I lead. Let's pray together. God, may you, in your own divine and creative ways,
and through your word. May you remind these believers in Christ, these followers of yours, that you are there for them, with them, within them. And may they sense the peace and the comfort and the encouragement of the Spirit of God in this truth. Whatever's going on in life, God, help them. Just help them to be able to trust you. As I also need to grow in that, Lord, to trust you fully for every step of every day, for every situation that comes my way every day. Thank you for this powerful truth that we've looked at from your word today. May it bring encouragement and strength to believers in Christ today. And in the coming days, we humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.